Some of you are going to keep trusting the government until your pronouns are was were. That's that's right, folks. Yeah, hear, heard it here first. I didn't even say coming up next, Rebecca. <laughs> Did that all get on there? I was just reading a meme somebody sent me. Mm-hmm. Just keep trying to tell people that, Jake. In point of fact, that was the end of a long rant that Jake was making. Is that true? Was it? You can find out. If I was on a rant, it was about why Brandon and I were here and you weren't. Yeah, we were wondering that. I'm I'm right here, man. What are you drinking? <laughs> Guys, we got to start this episode. Listen, coming up next, the bookening talks about Rebecca. Hey everybody, welcome to the bookening. My name is Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient. Oh, oh, oh ah, boy, I couldn't even say the word host. But we're but, doing it. Go. It's yeah, yours. we're doing it. We're doing it. it. Mr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper, I bring the pep to this podcast. <laughs> What's up, Pep? Hey, it's, it's my man Salt. It's Mr. Hey. Salt. Hey, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> and and it's in, in Fat Outplane, apparently. Yeah, hey, Fat Outplane, how you doing, man? Hey guys, bye. <laughs> oh, no. Bye, Fat Alplane. <laughs> All right, here like, we go. Into the episode. Yeah, it's like Fat Alplane wants us to get going this time. Folks, it's we had only few... been an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah, Did well, I we miss had... Fat Alplane again? You must well, have, Brandon. You shouldn't take naps during our show. On top of cats. I always take naps on top of cats during the shows. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of um, T.S. Eliot. Yep. And your favorite movie. What would that be? Cats. I was trying to think of a joke answer, but I couldn't. Yeah. Cats. This is gold. Hey, yeah, no. This is gold. This is gold. <laughs> and speaking of gold, we haven't introduced the golden-tongued devil himself, Mr. Substance, the Sultan of Substance. Bow, it's bow, bow. Brandon Chastine. I was trying to do that saxophone thing, but I couldn't. It was not very saxophone No. Bow, bow, bow. Yeah. That's the classic <laughs> saxophone sound. Pretty unsexy, if you ask me. Will you try to do a saxophone sound with just your tongue? No. How about I don't? With just your tongue? Yeah, with just your tongue. I can't use my vocal cords? Horrifying. If everybody could see what I see, um, they would be scarred for life. Well, what you saw was me trying to use- There are two kinds of people in this world. Mm -hmm. There are kinds of people that try to make sax sounds with their tongues and- those who don't. What's the other type? <laughs> those those who don't. Those who you, now there's our shirt. There's our shirt. <laughs> Listen, folks, it's the booking, the golden ticket to quality infotainment. And and That's my us. name is my name is Nathan. I'm the golden ticketeer to quality <laughs> infotainment. <laughs> hey, let's Woo. talk about Rebecca. Let's talk patron. about Rebecca. Can we talk yeah. about Rebecca finally? Thanks. Yeah, can we talk about Rebecca? Right, let's let's talk it. about Rebecca. Rebecca is a woman. She is dead. <sighs> I'm not going to wrap it up. And about we're it. not supposed to feel bad about it. No, we're not supposed to feel bad about it. Um, there you go. Well, I, I don't know, guys. This was, this was, I'm not telling tales out of school. I'm telling tales strictly in school when I say that this was a patron choice. Have I introduced everybody? We got the salt, the pepper, and the substance. You know, you introduced me as salt, but I don't think we've said my name yet. Oh, I'm Jake, by the way. He's Jake, pastor, yeah. he's a master of reading, all that. And we got Brandon. He's the Sultan of Substance. And my name is Nathan. I I bring the pep, Mr. Pepper. Mm. I wonder Dr. If Pepper. Do- Dr. Pepper, In my yes. opinion. I'm sorry. Yes, I did get my MD. Salt no, not MD. Uh, yeah, MD. PhD. Yeah, PhD, sorry. Yeah. You have a PhD? It was, conf- yeah, it was conferred upon him honorarily by Warhorn Media. Wow. Yep. The PhD mm-hmm. stands for... Podcasting, dumb. Podcast hosting dork. Yeah, podcast hosting dork. Yeah, you really kind of just missed the opportunity to use the PH pretty easily there, Nathan. <laughs> well, my second <laughs> word was dumb, and I lived down to it by going PD <laughs> and forgetting about the H. <laughs> anyway, speaking of forgetting about the H, 
most people remember all 26 letters. And I'll tell you who a person was. Rebecca. You want to know what we remembered in an episode that now doesn't exist? What's that? We didn't remember them, but we did read all 23 ingredients of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> yes. Well, listen, the ingredients that go into a Re- great Rebecca podcast include us talking about the topic of Rebecca. What baggage did either one of you bring to Rebecca? I'll start us because I brought no baggage. <laughs> you were just a free spirit going into Rebecca. Yeah, literally. No I don't baggage. know that I rem- remembered that this book existed. And, Did you remember um, that Daphne de Murier existed? No. <laughs> there you go. And I had, once I read the book, remembered, oh yeah, I saw that movie a long time ago. But it was not my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie, so I don't really remember anything about the movie. So There you go. That's my baggage. Jake, what baggage did you bring to Rebecca? I didn't know who Daphne de Maurier was, and I had not seen an adaptation of Rebecca. I didn't know that the book existed. If I brought any baggage, it would have been, what, Jane Eyre and Northanger Abbey? Mm-hmm. And outside of that, probably just the context of the books that we've been reading on the show. Yeah, so sure. it's not really not really baggage, but sort of like I don't know if this is the place to talk about this or not. But I, I I hit this book and I realized how little we've been in books that are really character driven mm-hmm. and have character insights. Because I was I found it really compelling, even though I found it vastly inferior in terms of its character insights to Austin or something like that. So early on, I was. Just happy to be in a book that was going to explore the inner life of somebody instead of just action or outer, you know, stuff. So, yep, know, fantasy, mean. adventure, fun, action, that sort of thing. It was nice to have that change of pace. But in maybe I'll, no, I'm just not going to say, I'm just going to throw all my cards on the table. I just found myself, by the time I was done reading it, wishing that I was reading Austin or even a Bronte again instead. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a classic. Did we say this was a patron choice, by the way? A lovely patron. I mean, paid to we have, have multiple book? times, but I don't know if we've said it on the recording. Yeah, I don't know if we've said it in this version of the podcast. podcast. We had a lot of false starts. Have I said we've had false starts? I'm sure I've said that on this podcast. So I, I didn't resent it, and I found it a breath of fresh air from the books that we had been reading, but it sort of also left me hungry for something, bit, something of more substance, I well, we are doing arguably the best th- work of literature that we've ever done s- starting next week in Hamlet. So hopefully that has some some depth of character. and uh, Yeah, that's going to scratch a lot of itches. Yeah, maybe the old And then we go to, game. do we go to Tur- Turgenev from there? No. Uh, so do we do some Halloween stories or something? Well, we do. We should try and get Halloween. We're way behind schedule right now. We actually have E.M. Forrester in there too, Room with a View. So That's right. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've got. We're going to like Forrester. So. Yeah. I think we'll like Forrester. I know we'll like Turgenev a lot. And uh, we'll try and squeeze a few Halloween stories in there, folks. I know you would not want to go without those. But yeah, we're somehow, I think just with the. Hey, let's be honest. Me and Jake moved to Evansville this year. It's been a weird year. And uh, we had all the King Arthur stuff that we needed to get to. And we've just fallen behind. But we have a really exciting next year planned and i think the train is officially back on the rails so i'm excited about the booking but that being said what baggage did i bring to rebecca you ask well i'm glad you asked because i will tell you i did know who daphne de murier is i've been pretty aware of her as a cinematic influence for a long time because i love the Hitchcock film, Rebecca. I love the Hitchcock film, The Birds. I don't know if I've actually seen Jamaica in, but I'm also pretty familiar with a Donald Sutherland horror movie from the 70s called Don't Look Now, which is based on a Daphne de Maurier story. It's a really weird, melancholy story set in Venice with basically the couple's little girl dies and they're in mourning, but then they start seeing something that resembles her and... uh Spoiler alert, it turns out to be a homicidal dwarf. So Are you serious? Yeah, I'm absolutely seriously. Like the 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 little girl disappears, she's wearing a red jacket or something like that, and then the whole story he's following this red this little figure in a red jacket who he thinks is like his dead daughter or something. And it's this very ethereal kind of haunting Venetian set story 
very beautiful and gothic, but then it ends with this crazy twist where it's actually just a homicidal dwarf, and the homicidal dwarf stabs him to death. So Daphne wow. de Bourier was a weird lady. I do not know that I had actually ever read anything by her, but I, I was just, you know, I'm of the three of us. I'm the genre fiction guy, certainly the supernatural fiction guy and the gothic fiction guy. So I was yeah. pretty familiar with her as a a brand, as a name, as a person. And I had a pretty good idea what to expect from this. And I, I was not, I did not go unconfirmed in my, in what I suspected. It was, it was pretty much exactly what I thought it would be. I think it was probably a little better than I thought it would be in some ways maybe a little worse than others i don't know we can litigate good i'm glad you mentioned that word what litigate yeah yeah well i get paid fifty thousand dollars for every time that i mention litigate and so i mention it a lot who pays me you ask well only brandon I can do. tell you that yeah jake, yeah jake pretends to hate it <laughs> but actually he pays me and, we're, and i don't mean like our warhorn salary i mean jake personally writes me a check yeah. While his children starve for $50,000 every time I say the word litigate. There's another 50. Yep. Litigate, litigate, litigate. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. It's like Ooh, quarter million racked up already. Yep. Well, okay. So what do you guys think about this? What do you think about this one, Brandon? Who? <laughs> what was yeah. it I said to you about this, Nathan? I think um, you said I'm not. I did not need to read it, but I'm not sorry that I did, or something like that. Maybe. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much how I feel about this novel. So there are certain novels where once I read them, I'm like, yeah, I read that. I didn't feel like it was either a huge waste of my time, or I didn't regret having read it. Mm-hmm. But I also don't feel like. Your life was especially grateful. My life, yeah, yeah I, my life didn't change because I read the book. She did what? <laughs> she I'm did a what new she, man. <laughs> well, there so, how many books? Thank is that you, Rebecca. <laughs> there are certain. I mean, in other words, it, certain it's books. It's no give you Tolstoy. A, that's what I have to say. Certain books give you a new perspective on things. Mm-hmm. Ready Player One. They allow you to see life in a different way. They allow you to empathize and sympathize with characters in a different way. (laughs) Or they're just enjoyable. Yep. And this one just fell into the the latter camp. It's just, it was enjoyable. It was, it did what it was supposed to do. The mystery was fun. The characters were interesting. The main protagonist is fairly interesting. You feel sympathy and interest in what's going on. She does a good job with her. Did you think so? I, I, I thought... I don't know if I'd say it was a weakness, but I thought that the she's still kind of milquetoast and passive, and I know that's a staple of the genre. But yeah, I I, I mean, as I, far as like she doesn't get in the way of the story, but she gives there's she gives it some reason to propel itself forward. I think so. you know I'm no she feminist. regrets how milquetoast that she is from the outset, though, right? She, like she's aware. Yeah, yeah, and and having her kind of be on her heels the whole time and surrounded yeah, by people that are better than her gives you a good entry point into and the... And feels like she's on her heels and knows that she's on her heels. Like, she's, you know... If I were a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, I wouldn't have felt so stupid and been so flat-footed. Right. Well, that's, and that's good. I mean, if, if, if you... This book is obviously written for women, so if you want an audience identification figure who the average woman can just be like, well, I might not be able to banter with a lord or solve a gothic mystery. I'd probably feel pretty out of place in a big mansion or things like that. So she's good in that sense. But I mean, if you think of, so you have Jane Eyre. She's mm-hmm. not as interesting as Jane Eyre. But other ones that fall into that category, I guess you would have Esther Summerson, who we've read. Yes. And this, this, this chick is definitely more in the Esther camp of, but she doesn't have Dickens' flaw there, which is extraordinary annoying uh, virtue. insecurity mm-hmm. that almost seems uh, unrealistic right? at times with the Dickens character. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just felt like in that book like this, you want a fairly easy, straightforward. I didn't feel like she was going for deep characterization. No, and this character as a conduit into the narrative is just fine in the sense yeah, that... I felt more that she was going for like uh, 
you know, the Gothic tradition comes out of the Storm and Drong with the German, with the, you know, the Storm and what does Storm and Drong mean? Storm and Thunder or something like that? I don't think it's Storm and Thunder, but... I'm asking our, our resident German scholar, Storm und Drong. Storm and Desire. Drong Storm and desire. desire. So like tempestuous desires. And that's kind of what the, the idea was with Goethe, with young Werther. Mm-hmm. And so here you see it too. And with those sorts of books, it's better to paint with broad colors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not going for subtle characterization. Instead, you want the sort of thunder and lightning that you get with um, less, not complex, because they can be complex characterizations in the sense that they have all sorts of conflicting emotions inside of these characters, but they're not, they're not subtle. They're not complicated. Yeah, I guess I prefer a whiter shade of broad. Yeah. Uh, that's, there's a phrase that makes sense. Like, I like Esther Summerson as far as she goes as a type. I like Mina Harker. Mina Harker is a good example from some, a book that we've read. She's a very silly, fake idea of femininity, but she works as kind of a symbolic, beautiful, fragile womanhood being threatened. How about Maria? Maria. Oh, Maria sucks. Please. Maria from For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yeah. Well, the problem with Maria is actually the problem that I kind of have with this protagonist, which is, how does one say it? Maria allows herself to be taken advantage of in some ways that seem like her male author was enjoying a little bit too much. You know, Maria is a figure of fantasy, and Hemingway wrote the most submissive, pliable, happy-to-have-sex-with-you woman ever. Yeah, but you see this as the same sort of person? Well, what's analogous about it for me is that she is so mousy and put upon and she can never and out of place that you just end up kind of feeling like she's being seduced, which I guess is part of the point. Yes. I started to say, but isn't that like, so really you're not taking so much issue with the characters. You just start taking issue with the sort of characterizations that make something like this work. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm taking issue with the the genre, but the book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me make, uh, here's what I'm getting at. This will make it clear what I'm saying. Let's compare Jane Eyre. It makes you appreciate how artfully Jane Eyre is done because Jane Eyre can always give it back to Mr. Rochester. And that really makes Mr. Rochester's aggressive uh, seduction of her and manipulation go down way easier because you're not worried for her. You understand in the book that Jane can take care of herself, that she She can give as good as she gets. Now, that's kind of a lie. Actually, Mr. Rochester is manipulating Jane Eyre, and he does take advantage of her, and that whole book is pretty perverse and get right down to it. But you don't have to think about it too hard. You can kind of just go for the ride because Jane Eyre has done There's so well. plausible sense of agency on Jane Eyre's part. She's got other people she's rejecting. and Right. She's going to run off. She's going to... She's got Jean-Baptiste. Yeah. And or, to be not, fair, uh, probably some awareness of the weirdness and gothicness of it all on Bronte's part too. Yeah. I mean, I think she was too smart not to have some awareness of it. I mean, Jane Eyre is such a weird book because every time we talk about it, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's kind of one of my favorite books we've ever read. And also one of my least favorite books that we've ever read. There's something so the first half or the first third of that book is so great. Yeah. I mean, even the stuff with St. John's okay. It's just the way she wraps it up with the fire. and everything. St. John. Saint Saint Jean. Jean, yeah, not Saint. I said Jean Baptiste or something. Yeah, not Jean Baptiste. <laughs> 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 I was gonna let it go, but yeah, yeah. it's late. Yeah, I mean, I just um, you know, I mean, it's the same problem with all of these romances. It's the same issue that I have with Titanic, right? I mean, it's really just the story of this con artist seducing a, a very a very emotionally impoverished and weak willed young lady. Well. It's why, it's why Jane Eyre is better than Wuthering Heights, too. Mm-hmm. A book like Wuthering Heights falls more into the Dracula camp, falls more into this camp of Rebecca, where it really is more about the feeling of being gothic than it really is about any sort of character mm-hmm. development. Even though there is some form of attempt at character development, Jane Eyre is much more insightful than these books. But that's not the point of these books. These books are out to make you feel a certain certain gothicness 
And the way yeah. you do that is by not letting you get tripped up too much in complex characterization. I mean, Jane Eyre, for all its faults, it, it wants to ultimately, I think wrongly, it wants to give you that feeling of, oh, he possessed me, and isn't that romantic? Yeah, I mean, Which I is, think Jane Eyre is the best representative we have of this gothic tradition, and that's just because it yeah. is a brilliant novel. Yeah, it's, it is brilliant. And it, maybe it's, it's just like, not a Christian novel. That's, yeah. I think that's my big, if I still have a continuing complaint, it's just that we have heard, it, well, yeah, it's just not a great work of Christian. It's not defending Christian truths. Right. But, but I, I'm not I just don't think the gothic novels do. Go ahead. I'm not insulted when Hemingway doesn't defend Christian truth. He's just not Christian. The thing about Jane Eyre is that it feels like it has some sense. It feels like it has yeah. a little, it feels like it's reached the age of accountability or something like that. Like it's, you want it to be better than it is actually. Like you feel like oh. she's actually smart enough to write a better novel than the one. Which that is why, writes. even though it is her weakest, Northanger Abbey is still the best of the Gothic novels, right? Yeah. In a lot of ways. Because at least it has self-awareness of all the silly tropes and, is making fun of them and kind of pulling back the... There's a problem with that. It's like a poet who's good, but is also... It's like Yeats. Yeats can be very dangerous because Yeats is really into the occult, but also he's into sensuality. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the... We've talked about this before. Gothic, the Gothic romance, since it verges on transgression and it's all about the transgressive nature of the relationship even though it's not sexually transgressive necessarily, it still evokes emotions that are parallel to those, and so they kind of feel the same. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like why horror so easily kind of elides into sex with like the vampire stories. Oh, sure, yeah. Why they all go hand in hand, because transgressive feelings are transgressive feelings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the gothic romances lend themselves towards that, and that's why there's always it's just, just what they a, feed off of is just that yeah, sense of the forbidden. Yeah, and so like when I first read Wuthering Heights, you just get this sense that there's something icky going on, something that could almost be pornographic, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, Jane Eyre has that with Saint John, even though I think Jane Eyre's a much more mature and better book than those. And which, um, in some sense, like you were, I think, alluding to earlier, makes it that much more dangerous. Yeah. Right. In that much more easy to fault. Yeah. yeah. Nobody reads Rebecca if they have any intelligence and self-awareness and thinks that this sort of thing happens and that you can really just be possessed by this mysterious, strange man. And I yeah. mean, I mean, lots of chicks like to fantasize about that, but. Exactly. There's a reason that these are the sorts of stories that become the pulpy romance novels you would find in an airport. Yeah, like the precursors to Fifty Dan Shades stuff. Like yeah. Danielle Still, and I i don't know what she writes, but I'm guessing she writes stories like these. Yeah, well, um, uh, Harlequin Romance, all that stuff is downstream. Yeah, and so this is not Harlequin Romance. This is much better written than a Harlequin Romance ever could be, but it still has much, it's still, this book would be more likely, you would more likely find this book on an airport stand than you would Jane Eyre. Yeah. It's yeah, just got that true. sort of... So, the way that I saw the novel was like, you know, you have to like this kind of story. If you like this kind of story, then this will do it for you. There's nothing mm -hmm. particularly transgressive about it, but it is gothic romance, and it just kind of takes the cookie-cutter gothic romance stuffs, throws it in, and gives it to you in a, in a, in a way that's well told. I think you could make this... You could say the exact same thing about Agatha Christie, you know? Mm -hmm. She takes what's works about detective stories. She's a good writer. She puts it on a page, and either you yeah, like it or you don't. She's great. She's great. That's what I always say. Either you like it or you don't. Yeah. Some, uh -huh. some, some, somehow people are That's never exactly what you say, Nathan. Yeah. That is that is all I've ever said. Is <laughs> some people don't like it, and some people are dumb. Some people, you know, some it's, people it's, prefer right? to spend their time reading Tolstoy. I mean, right. Some people like to eat glass. You know. Lots, there's lots of people. It takes all kinds. Would rather make mud pies in the slum when instead they could be having a holiday at sea. A holiday at the sea. That's right. That's right. That's a great metaphor. You come up with that yourself. Yeah. Cool. I should write a. Uh, I should write that into an essay. Yeah, you should fit that into an essay. You should. Yeah. Yeah, I guess when I'm arguing with this book, I'm really. No, you shouldn't. Only an absolute idiot pagan would do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Like a a, a person who said that, like. Uh, pedophilic relationships were had a touch of the divine 
yeah. that kind of person would probably yeah, say so, that. Yeah, I was thinking them. about Don't. putting that into this essay. <laughs> yeah. And also kind of celebrating Bacchus a bit too. Yeah. Well, Bacchus is great. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's right up there. Yeah. sacrifice along the lines of like a druidic pagan uh, ceremony. If you could uh, lump sort of mix that in with real true religion and Christianity, then that, that'd be really fantastic. Done. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I think we're going to make a whole career out of this, guys. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a great idea for a loser. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we just really like to lean into things. No. Yeah, well. Sometimes it's just, you know, what are you going to do? It's better. You know. It's almost mocking. the. It's, it's, it's really about mocking the people that can't hear criticisms without nuance. So. Yeah, the thing is, for a certain kind of person, no matter what we say and no matter how we nuance it, we'll always be the C.S. Lewis haters. And so it's like, well, what are you going to do? You might as well have fun with it. And C.S. Lewis sucks. It does help that he sucks. Is that close yeah. to a spit take? <laughs> <laughs> He's right down there with... What's the Winnie the Pooh emphasis a. A. on the Mill, poo? man. A. A. Mill, man. Yeah. Another <laughs> gay, 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 gay You've Mill. heard of Socrates, Plato, <laughs> Moron. <laughs> Morons. More like Winnie the Pooh Pooh. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. By Gay Gay Milne. Listen, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I think is interesting about Rebecca is that Daphne de Murier is based on Brandon's context and then in what we know of her. I think she is kind of self-aware and self-hating enough that there is a dark undercurrent to this story, even in the relationship between the protagonists that kind of drives it. And it, it does add an additional layer of interest. She's not just it's not just like what a Harlequin romance or a really bad gothic novel would do where it is just. It is actually, you're supposed to fantasize about how great it would be to just be possessed and consumed by this uh, figure of masculine energy. She's at least like, "Eh, there's something kind of creepy about it. But also, it's really romantic. But also, there's something kind of dark and off about it. lots and lots and lots of LGBTQT and feminist uh, scholars have spilt ink over the way that she represents the, to use the word again, transgressive desire of the maid. Of Mrs. Danvers. Yeah, well, I think it's fascinating that, I don't think you could write this book right now, because it is queer-coded, and the bad guy, the villain, the dark force is just this lesbian figure. Like, that's all there is to it. Their argument is that that's, in that way, it actually was progressive, because... That's the only way that you could code that sort well, yeah, of desire. But that, that, I mean, that's, I mean, it's like classic Hollywood villainy is you want to code it. Well, you got to code it as villainy, but you can get yeah. it in there. It's the only way to get it in there. Yeah. But, to, but today you have to celebrate it. Well, there is, yeah. there's that scene where Mrs. Danvers gets her upstairs and she's like just going nuts on her. Probably the best scene in the novel where she's spilling her the guts about her relationship with Rebecca and all this stuff. And just holding the heroine captive basically and they have this battle of wills it is fascinating to see an author who's so upfront of yeah here's a lesbian and it's the most frightening thing that our main heroine could confront i mean it is it is like dracula or something it is just pure malevolence so yeah i mean i know what you mean when you say it's like well it's stu- it's what demar how demarie characterized herself right like mm-hmm. masculine sexual energy encaps- uh, inside a, a woman's body with a woman's general disposition. And that's, that is a frightening, scary thing. Yeah. It's just, it is monstrous. it's, it's, it's kind of nice to go back to a time where she, she was aware enough of conventional morality and the way that God designed the world that she's like, yeah, that is scary. Cause you can't, and she's also saying that that's that's her, right? Like, yeah, it's it's potent and it's attractive in a way, but it's also it's pretty scary. I mean, it's the same. This this book comes a lot closer to the way that people who haven't read Dracula think Dracula is going to be. Like Dracula in the book is in fact pretty nasty, and not there's not a lot of scenes outside of the Mina Harker thing where where he's anything but just gross. Like, he's a monster. He's a decrepit old monster. 
but people who've seen the movies and stuff always think he's going to be this kind of baronic figure of romance who also happens to be a monster. And this story comes much closer to hitting that weird mixture of mm-hmm. sex and attraction and potency, and but also malevolent. The other thing I wanted to say before I forgot it is I think Daphne du Maurier, because she doesn't like the feminine inside her, doesn't like the heroine. I think that's part of my problem with the way the heroine's portrayed. I think she sees her figures of identification are the maid, are Rebecca, are, are the man, even the seductive yeah. man. But I think the re- one of the reasons she writes the heroine so flat is because she actually hates that kind of a person and it's kind of it's, wa- wants it's to make her as simple part of her that she part. wants to kill. Right. And so she's just like, oh, it's me. I'm a simpering heroine doing my best to. It's like there's actually. There's or the part of her that she wants subjugated. Right. Yeah. And so she's actually making herself into the the man who's coming along to possess this person and consume this person and then making herself into Rebecca or the maid or any of the other characters who all kind of possess and consume this person. It would be interesting to know why our patron wanted us to read this book, what it is that our patron likes about this book, or were they just hoping we would have this discussion? I, I, I really don't know. I don't know our Yeah, patron. maybe she'll let us know. Yeah, you can reach out. <clears throat> For some reason, Jamie. Uh, as I was reading this novel, I was thinking about parallels between Daphne du Maurier and Willa Cather. Now, that's an interesting... And the yeah, you, you made that parallel in the last episode, I noticed, and I, I didn't forget it, but go ahead. Well, I did make it, and I talked about them. I think you just threw well, it out there. Yeah, you desires, just threw it out there. That's Willa Cather, not necessarily as No, we talked about that, and we, we decided to stay neutral on that. Did we? We had this discussion? Wait, we yes. talked about who? Willa Cather's Willa Cather. lesbian? Well, we talked about whether or not my memory, and maybe listeners would know better, but what I remember is having the whole discussion about reading back into just a close friendship between two women. Yeah. And reading lesbian undertones there that, you know, the modern academic Ben is going to want to read LGBT stuff into something that may just be a. It, it, maybe I'm wrong about that. That's what I remember. When we talked as about I, Willa as Cather. I dread, as I pull up the information in my brain, as I access my Willa Cather file, what I'm getting is she was weird and broken one way or another. Like she didn't. Yes, marry. she was. She had this, but she had the, the, but whether that turned into action, you know, crossed the line into lesbianism with a capital L. Yeah, so. I mean, she was a, she was a she was at least asexual. But the parallel is that. I think you can, so thinking of it that way, you, you actually can. So we'd talk about the morality of the author and their worldview, and the, even though we don't like that word necessarily, but the way that they see things seeping through the cracks of their stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And over, so for better or worse, you know, Tolstoy is a part of his stories. Mm-hmm. Dostoevsky is a part of his stories, and we much prefer Tolstoy to Dostoevsky. Sure. Yeah. Because Tolstoyevsky's story is just seeped in his beliefs and the way he sees the world. And I think that Dostoevsky had a very dark Russian Christianity that wasn't Christian mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. And I think we all yeah. agree there. Yeah. But here, to say that Dostoevsky's not in heaven. We don't know that, but still there was something very, yeah, yeah. But, but it's not just, Christian about the way that his Christianity presents. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I just recently had this discussion with someone. And so I'm just kind of reimagining that conversation that I just had, actually, if anybody was wondering where in the world that came from. Um, So so then you also have these two stories. You have My Antonia, where you could have easily had, if Willa Cather did have those desires, it would have probably seeped through the cracks and you would have seen it, right? Because it does in this story for sure. Yeah. This has all sorts of illicit, like she sympathizes with Miss Danvers. There's that sort of tension she has with the main protagonist. There's even the mild effeminacy and weirdness of the main guy. And his whole coterie of hangers on and everybody's gay in this story. I mean, yeah. And the way that they try to, I mean, he's gay and sort of what was the, what was the guy that all the ladies loved at the time? The British guy. Rudolph Valentino. Lawrence no. Olivier? No, 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 no. Lawrence Olivier. Why did I pull the, the main? Wow. The main. Why I keep putting her comic. way back? Where? <laughs> yeah. The main, every time we talk about Gothic, I just my mind. 
Sorry. Cary, Cary Grant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry if people out there like him, but I, I like I Cary love Grant. Grant. I, yeah. I love Cary Grant. He's pretty good. But he was, he was mildly effeminate in lots of the things he did. And But that's just all over this story. And so it's just interesting to see the way that a story, it's a weird way of thinking of it, but it stews in the mindset and beliefs of its author. Mm-hmm. And it just comes off and you can smell it when you mm-hmm. read. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And so it colors this story in a very lesbian way that I think really, to take us back to some of the Will the Cather arguments, I think makes Cather look a bit better. Yeah, you don't get it done It helps with reading, that argument some. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't get done reading My Antonia and feel I think that like, she has some illicit longing for My Antonia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? No, the way, there's, some, there's some weirdness in the our main character's obsession with her, but it, yeah. it, it doesn't feel like a, some kind of coded lesbian longing, though. No, it feels yeah. broken, uh, you know. Right. Uh, Willa Cath- and it feels broken in a way that Willa Cather doesn't quite understand. She's writing broken. You know, obviously, a ca- somebody could write, like, I'm writing a broken character. No, that's not it. This is her brokenness being expressed in the way she writes the story. But it's not the same thing. It doesn't feel, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's been stewing in this decrepitness or, or whatever. Well, and the proof for that, some of that, is in the way that Rebecca resolves. It's a very morally irresponsible ending at the best you know i mean the idea that we're we're pretty happy that what what is the guy's name what is mr rochester's name in this gary cooper gary cooper john manderley whatever his name is oh boy what is his name lawrence olivier i mean we're basically happy that we got away with murder we're going to wait stack the deck such that we don't feel bad that he killed Rebecca because whatever, for plot reasons, she manipulated him into it. We're basically pulled into going along with all kinds of crimes and being happy with them. Max um, de Winter. Max de Winter, yes, Mr. de Winter. And some of my favorite stories are like short stories by Patricia Highsmith or one of those crime writers where they put you in the mind of someone who's evil and make you just live with it. But they know that's what they're doing, and that's how the story gets its juice. Whereas here, you're just supposed to kind of go along with it. Like, you're not supposed to think too hard about it. And that is, in its own way, more perverse, precisely because it's trying to convince you that it's not perverse. So, yeah, there's ways in which this is a pretty sick book. But Yeah, the ending is kind of, this is morally ambiguous in a way that's frustrating. Well, if she wants you to be complicit in the crime if she wants you to feel like oh man they got away with murder that's okay with me if the book is like a dark descent into we now side with the killers and you're supposed to feel that i could see a good book being you know there's lots of good books that are written with that sort of a thing but if it's just i don't want you as a reader to even really think about it as murder i want you to justify it in your mind such that you don't feel pulled into the darkness but you just kind of accept the darkness that's worse in my humble mm-hmm. opinion so I'm trying to think what else there is to say about this book it's well written the prose is good mrs danvers is a great villain i liked it i probably liked it a little bit better than either of you guys like liked it just because i have a certain fondness for the genre i mean i'd still rather be reading jane Eyre, but that's probably an unfair comparison i mean I was like saying I'd rather be eating a $50 steak than going to McDonald's. Sometimes McDonald's is what you want. It's fine. As far as junk food goes, this book's pretty good junk food, I guess. Yeah. Like I said, I did not. How do you, how do you put it? My brain is not working anymore. I did not despise having to read this. I did not. Mm-hmm. I wasn't angry I had to read this. Right. So it didn't rise to the level of Dune or uh, yeah. what are some of the other books that have made me pot- angry? Ready yeah, Player One. Mainly sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah, it's like one of you guys said, if this is the kind of book that people like, then they'll probably like this book. It's just a matter of how much fondness you have for the genre. It's uh, a matter of taste. Yeah, it's a matter of taste. And I, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I think it's much like we said about Ready Player One and any number of books. There's not anything that's so nutritive about what it's doing and there's not anything that's so beautiful or meaningful about the prose style it's basically just a plot and it's well told 
but you could get the same experience out of watching the Hitchcock movie and you'd save yourself eight, nine hours of reading or listening to an audio book. You could get this plot downloaded into your brain pretty quickly and derive about as much enjoyment as you're going to derive from it. So my advice, watch the movie. The movie also, interestingly, because of the censors at the time, could not go through with the plot where Max DeWinter kills Rebecca. So they have her, like, it's the same exact setup and everything. She's trying to goad him into killing her, but then she, like, trips and hits her head or something. Like, they they had to change it to something kind of, something that barely makes sense, but that appeased the Catholic censorship office of the time. How many floating corpses under the water does the booking give to Rebecca? Out of how many? Oh, I'm sorry. Mm, unknown. Mysterious. You have to choose a number. And then I'll tell you how many it's out of. Four. Four? Brandon? Four. Four. It's out of four. You guys were oh. saying this is a perfect book. Wow. All right. Rebecca joins Tolstoy. And so. what are our other favorite books? Like East of Eden. Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Wow. And, yeah. Okay. There you go. There you go. Interesting to know. Well, Jamie, I don't think you'd mind me saying your name. You're the one that had us read this book. If you have thoughts or questions or ideas or things like that you've misread it or. Yeah, if you want to weigh in, I'd be interested to hear what it was you saw in this book because I, I, I enjoyed this book, but I'm not sure what else we should be saying about it. And so, yeah, let us know if you had a different angle on it. It'd be interesting to talk about. And. Uh, I suspect over on Sanity at the movies, we'll probably do the movie at some point. It's a, it's like one of the, one of the big texts, if I can use that pretentious word in, in, in Hitchcock studies. So, uh, you know, probably be fun to do. I mean, kind of feels like we should probably do North by Northwest or Psycho or something like that before we get to Rebecca. But as far as things that aren't North by Northwest or Psycho or Vertigo, Rebecca's right up at the top. The birds. So yeah, or the birds. Yeah, okay, so we'd probably have to do the, first, the the big four first, but, you know, I'd rather do Rebecca than the birds, probably, although I like rear, the birds. Rear. Oh, yeah, rear window. Probably. Okay, well, yeah, you know. But still, you know, if we, if we do Sanity at the Movies for several more years and do a lot of Hitchcock films, eventually we'll get to Rebecca, and I wouldn't mind getting it. We should probably it. have a Hitchcock month. Yeah, we should probably just do a bunch of Hitchcock. Hitchcock. We should probably just watch October, the Will Smith movie, Hickok. Yeah, yeah. Hancock. Hancock. Yeah, sorry. We should probably watch a movie with Wild Bill Hickok. Yeah. It's old. Dead. T made for uh, TV, TNT movie. It had Wild Bill Hickok in it. It's called Purgatory or something like that. Yeah, we're going to watch Purgatory with Wild Bill Hickok. Had uh, what's his face in it, you know. He's like blacklisted. He's a, a drunk pilot in Independence Day. What's his face? Oh, Randy Quaid. Yes. Randy Quaid, Dennis Quaid's brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was in it. What were we actually going to Oh, we just need to do a Hitchcock month and Sanity of the Movies. That's a good idea. And then we could do a bunch of them because you really want to talk about more than one. Okay, guys, speaking of talking about more than one, we have more than one patron and we need to call him out. So, uh, <laughs> and I keep saying the phrase, this is the second podcast in a row where I've said, call him out as if we're going to be like, you're a racist or you're a jerk or something like that. Brandon... Why don't you say what style of jeans this person should wear? And Jake, why don't you say which house from Harry Potter you think that they'd be in? Sounds good. Okay, Ronda and Ronda the Lovers. Either, either go without me for just a minute or, and I'll jump in. Okay. You got to yeah, step away in. just for a minute. Okay, okay. Brandon's stepping away. Jake's going to tell us the house from Harry Potter. So Robert and Ronda the Lovebirds? Hufflepuff, actually. Ouch. I feel like hey. it's always an insult to be put into Hufflepuff. No I'm way. Sorry. Cedric Diggory was a Hufflepuff. He was a good dude. Oh, yeah. Cedric Diggory. Well, guess what? Cedric Diggory's dead. It's not his fault. He faced the worst, baddest wizard of all time. Yeah. You think a Slytherin he wouldn't no have survived that? You think a Gryffindor? No. A Hufflepuff got himself killed. Oh, come on. Yeah. He got his He won the Triwizard Cup. Out. Yeah. Because Dumbledore cheats and just gives it to whoever he wants. No, the Triwizard Cup, not the house thing. Still, he's he's from Hufflepuff. Those are just like a bunch of fat morons. I hate Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's an insult. Yeah. 
it's it's a huge insult. Like no. it's just it's just funny that J.K. Rowling's conception was you got the devious like Slithering House, you've got the noble House of Heroes, you've got the Levi's. academics smart house, and then you've got the morons at Hufflepuff. No Wranglers, compassion. Who wants loyalty. to be compassionate? Who, who compassion says, and loyalty. Up, no, nobody wants to be a Hufflepuff. Oh my yeah, goodness! Yeah, Brandon joins. Yeah, Brandon knows. Brandon understands. I I think Brandon, there's virtue in being a Hufflepuff. Brandon, would you believe that when I said Rhonda and Lo- Robert the Lovebirds, your friend, quote unquote, Jake Menzel, assigned them to House Hufflepuff? No. The only thing I want to know is: is that really as far as you guys have gotten? <laughs> Yeah, I said Hufflepuff, and Nathan went on this rant about how Hufflepuff <sighs> is stupid, and I don't. Hufflepuff's I don't great. Think it's, I don't Move think on. It's fair. <laughs> Listener, dial one eight hundred care deeply to tell us your thoughts on <laughs> Hufflepuff. Dig it. Dig. Grab your meat shovel, your meat fork, and your meat knife, and dig into the the heart tasty of the Hufflepuff. Of the heart of the Hufflepuff. Okay, mm. number two, the artful Anthony Dodger. Slytherin. Levi's. Little Anthony Cigar Store. Calvin uh, Ravenclaw. The Immortal Chelsea E. Gryffindor. G-Star Raw. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Gotta love the G-Star Raw. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Slytherin. Lily of the Valley. Hufflepuff. Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. Uh, Ravenclaw. Yeah. I'm just gonna listen to Jake. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of jeans? I don't Keith know, man. Whatever you want. The Keith Master, Levi's. Ravenclaw. Skinny. David's Mighty Men Trucking. Uh, Hufflepuff. John and Jill, Little Wrangler. Baby Max. Gryffindor. Jane Giddy, you were cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis. Gryffindor. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Gryffindor. Council Prime, Adam. Uh, Slytherin. Nathan, not me. Ryan, the Red Avenger, Judith of the Ladies. Oh, my goodness. Benny and Diana Tiberius, Erica from Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. They're all Death Eaters. Yeah, that's probably true. And they all wear what's the dumbest kind of jean? I felt Old like there Navy. were a handful of Ravenclaws in there. Old Navy. So, I mean, I'd say I'd say mom jeans, but mom jeans are back, baby. They're back. You hang you hang out with any kind of young people, and what's a mom jean? The ones that like high waisted. Mom jeans have to do with where the pockets are. Pockets are high on mom jeans. Okay. Pockets are high on mom jeans. My little, my I now know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Professor and Lady X Quality Podcasting Award to this podcast. Lavender's Green, Dylan Dylan, Noah Constrictor, Mara Chief, the Fair and Fragrant Men, Colony, oh, Anthony's. Got a good deal of Gryffindors in that batch. Clothed and hates life, liberty, and pursuit of cheese. Slytherin. All right, I'm going to read a whole bunch, and then you tell me what the predominant house is. Is yeah. the only house missing in our podcast a, a Hufflepuff? I think me and Jake did it, and I was a Slytherin, and he was a Gryffindor. Yeah, of yeah. course, and I'm Ravenclaw. So Yeah, so oh. we don't have any Hufflepuff. Man, that's so funny. We really played a type. Huh. We did. And yeah. we do, yeah. Yeah. Jake's a hero with heart. I'm a jerk and Brandon's a The intellectual. A, the intellectual. And we don't have a Hufflepuff because who would listen to <laughs> who that? Who needs us? <laughs> yeah. Fat Alplane's probably a Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's your t shirt. Okay. <laughs> Jay that's real mean, guys. <laughs> Shut up, Hufflepuff. Okay. You can just Hufflepuff on down the tracks, fat Alplane, you fat Alplane. Timothy, the writer at dawn. Eric and Kate, the Camp Jamp Kings, who are warm and love bees. Yes, it's still the greatest patron name of all time. Maddie, 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 Matt, man. man. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness. Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light. What kind of houses are we thinking those people are? Hufflepuff. And what kind of jeans do we think they wear? Generica. Generica, my favorite. Oh boy, where was I? Should I just start over? I lost my place. Please, Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. (laughs) Yes, the Hufflepuffs, the classic Hufflepuffs. Cold Steel Cody, Jack of the Librarian, Barbarian, John Bombadilla, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Neil is mate. Saxophone Alex, the other saxophone Alex, and Dubstep Danny. Ryan the Terror of Texas, the American of the Cream and Crimson, who no longer are stuck in the cold, but please do send cheese. Ben Solo and Kyla Wren, John the Cosmic King of Chaos. Again, I ask, what house, what jeans? Carhartt. Gryffindor. (laughs) Yep. Obviously, uh, Carhartts and Gryffindors go together. Anybody uh, would wear a Carhartt would be from Gryffindor or from Hufflepuff. One of the two. 
John the Cosmic King of Chaos, Matthew the Mind Flayer, Annie Ario, okay, get your gun, Blood of Valerie, Thor Ragnajosh, Stephen Dada, Pegalodon, Christopher the Plow Hulk, Lady of the Crystal Lake, in the Death of Mirian, Lord of Death, Emily, a man in possession of an Emily is in want of nothing. Emily Nightshade, Slytherin, dreams. Slytherin tones there in that group. Yeah, well, Emily Gap. Nightshade, the Hunter of Dreams. She's, yeah, <laughs> obviously. All about the Benjamin, Mysterious Phantom, and Jeremy, the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Along with his lovely bride, Maya. Maya! Bonobos. <laughs> yep. Uh, Gryffindor. All right. Well, you're welcome, everybody. Thanks for hanging with us as always. Hey, we're going to be back with Hamlet next week. One of the great works of literature. You think we're going to ham it up? We're going to let it be great. Just like the ending of this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. I get uh, it now. <laughs> uh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes when someone says something so genius, it's a little bit like Shakespeare himself. Sometimes the things that come out of my mouth are so genius that you, you got to read the notes. You, you got to have the edition that has like a giant bag you of think notes. think our and- listeners are all shaking their spears in anticipation? Yes. I think yeah, our listeners... They are barbarians. I think, yeah, most of our listeners are the goths and the... Most of our listeners are the aboriginal people of Australia. <laughs> yep, it's true. Well, they're all locked down. They don't have COVID. Or they do have COVID. I don't know. We should be done. I think we're just saying random I was words wondering, now. do the Amish have COVID? I don't know. Jake, do the Amish have COVID? No idea. It's a Google. They wouldn't know. They're not plugged in. Oh, boy. If, if you don't know you have COVID, do you have COVID? If you know what in the last month or so i have met more people who know someone or have a family member who has died of covid than i have in a long time huh but i can't i I can't end the podcast on that somebody needs to say something like witty or bright or interesting so that i just just close all that out just snip it go back to the hamlet stuff i don't think that the hamlet stuff was good enough i think we need something bright and fun and witty all right one, two, three, bright, fun, witty. Amish. More like prickly ash. <laughs> You're going to wow. have to sign on to Patreon to get that one, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash the booking. You can hear us talk all about prickly ash. Yeah, has something to do with Dr. Pep. Yeah. Or Pokemon. Something. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> no, you don't know. <laughs> okay, we better just call it quits. I'm sorry. There's no brightness or wit coming from this <laughs> dark corner of the universe. It's all darkness with us. It's all darkness with us. Hey, I'm looking forward to Hamlet, though. Heck yeah. Yay. Yeah, baby, in the immortal words of Shakespeare. Yeah, baby. <laughs> oh, I, I quit. I quit the show. I quit the podcast. I quit everything. Wait, Jake, I don't think you understand. He just com- he just compared Shakespeare to Towers. Yeah. Do you it's get great. it, Jake? <laughs> yeah, I get it. Okay. And you still want to go? Are you show? entertained? <laughs> Are you not entertained? I, Are I'm you not, not entertained? entertained? Isn't that yeah, a golden ticket to infotainment right there? Hey, yeah, you're welcome. This has been the Booking, your golden ticket to infotainment, produced by me. Remember when I used to do credits for like the first thousand episodes of this show? <laughs> I haven't done yeah. that for a while. Produced by me, but da da da. Brought to you by Kellogg's Corn Flakes. I don't remember what I used and to say. And the letter C. Yeah, brought to you by the letter C. It stands for cookie. You keep writing That's good enough for me. Yeah, I said it was written by me, produced by me, and executive produced by Jake and me. Until next time. No, you never said until next time on the booking. Yeah, that's a different show. Until okay. Until next time. We went Stay past it. Stay booking in. Yes, yeah, keep on booking in. Booking it. Bye. Bye.